This message is brought to you by the CD and Internet Ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. While Pastor Rick is away this weekend, Dan Blyde will be bringing the Word of God to us in a sermon that he's entitled, The Great Banquet. Let's join Dan now in his message. Good morning, my name is Dan Blyde. I am pinch hitting for Rick this morning, who is away with the couples on the marriage retreat. I came across something interesting. Uh, I think you might find it interesting. I hope not useful. It's a website that has excuses. They have categories of excuses. For example, there are excuses for missing school, excuses for missing work, excuses to give to the police, excuses to use when you call in sick, good excuses to get out of work, great excuses, best excuses, homework excuses. On the best excuses, for example, here's what they say. These excuses have been laboratory tested and are the result of extensive clinical trials. It was found that 8 out of 10 people who used them were able to avoid difficulty, awkwardness, trouble in relationships, and legal problems. While there is no guarantee that they will work for you, many users have reported positive results by using them. Results may vary depending upon credible delivery and gullibility factor of the recipients. Side effects may include guilty conscience, loss of employment, and physical injury. How to use these? Always look your excuse recipient directly in the eyes while delivering your excuse. Everyone knows that people look away from you when they are lying. Also, do a bit of research about your excuse and be prepared to answer any question. For example, one of the top ten excuses is, I was abducted by aliens. Okay? So, for example, if you tell someone you're abducted by aliens, which aliens were they? And what did their ship look like? You have to kind of be ready with those, uh, that uh, information. It's also a good idea, they say, to keep a log on what excuses you have used on who and when. Even the best excuses will fail if you try to use the same one on the same person more than once. Well, I thought we would begin this morning with a little group activity to see how perceptive you are as to whether excuses are valid or not. So I'm going to ask you to respond in just a minute. Now, the way you respond is if you think it's a good excuse, I want you to do this, okay? And if it's not a good excuse, I want you to do this. And the movement will help you on a crisp morning, as Tom said. Marco Fella of England admitted attacking his girlfriend with a toy dog. Another time he bit his fing- her finger, but it wasn't his fault. Excuse. My client's temper, said his lawyer, snapped because he felt his partner was not making enough effort in the relationship. Okay. All right. Continuing. Biting an assault aside, Fella is not really a violent person. He just hadn't had his fill of Mars bars. See, Fella is a sugar addict and has a 10 Mars bars a day habit. (laughs) Okay, we got some others that sympathize with it. Charles O'Byrne, top aide to the New York governor, neglected to file tax returns for five years. Neglected is really the wrong word, said his lawyer. O'Byrne couldn't pay his taxes. He suffers from a medical condition called late filing syndrome. 
which is caused by depression. Even though this depression did not stop him from being a highly functional professional or enjoying an active social life, it did seem to affect his ability to pay taxes five years in a row. The American Psychiatric Association representative told the New York Times that it doesn't recognize late filing syndrome as a psychiatric condition. But that would be useful coming up here, wouldn't it? New York Congressman Vito Fazella was pulled over in Alexandria, Virginia by a cop and he blew a .17 on the breathalyzer, more than twice the legal limit. Fasella knew he'd better start thinking fast. He explained that his high blood alcohol level was a result of alcohol-based hand sanitizer he'd used. Wow, you're a tough crowd. Just a couple more. This is from an online dating service. Here are excuses you can use there. Uh, I didn't show up for our date because my dog has been suffering from depression and I really think he and I need some time together. My friend is going on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and I'm her phone friend and you know what these shows are like. They could ring any time. The football season just started. I'll call you when it's ended. Oh, okay. And then finally, if you've played hooky from work, uh, the, the site says 31% of employers actually check up on employees who call in sick. That seems a little high to me, but maybe that's true. 18% of fired workers for going AWOL without a really good excuse. But here are some good excuses. I dreamed I was fired, so I didn't want to get out of bed. <laughs> I wasn't thinking and accidentally drove to my old job. <laughs> While rowing across the river, I got lost in the fog. I didn't have money for gas because all the pawn shots were closed. My dog dialed 911, and the police wanted to question me about what really happened. Uh, well, why all these comments about uh, oops, wrong direction about excuses? Because Jesus told a story, and. Central to the story were some people that made excuses. I want to look at that story this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 15 to 24. Before we look at the story itself, there's a couple of pieces I want you to have in the backdrop of your mind as you look at it. Uh, the first part of the story, uh, the backdrop, is a, a great statement in Isaiah. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for his peoples a feast of rich food. This is a prediction that one day God is going to make a feast. And notice it's a, a feast that's involved swallowing up death forever. Would you like to be invited to this feast? I think so. The rest of that verse says, and we should be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This picture of a great feast 
represented a, a time when God was going to break into history and bring a great kingdom. And the Jewish people had been looking forward to that. It was pictured as a great feast. A second piece of information that I want you to have is that Jesus had been teaching and traveling just prior to this story. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. We get the impression that maybe not everybody that thinks they're going to be welcome to the feast is actually going to show up at the feast. Jesus continued, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, you evil, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. They will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Notice again the picture of a banquet and folks coming from all over to participate in this banquet. But not everybody who thinks they're going to participate will. In fact, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. There are going to be surprises. Well, our story is told in Luke 14. It starts at verse uh, 15. But I'm interested in what happened just before that at that particular occasion. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. A few chapters earlier, Luke tells us that the religious establishment was not very pleased with Jesus in the way that he was presenting himself. And consequently, they had begun to watch him to see if they could catch him in something so that they could uh, show disregard for his ministry. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Not sure exactly what the dropsy was, but it means he was swollen up perhaps because of a problem with his liver or his heart. He is not the kind of a guy that would have been invited to this dinner. And so, although Luke doesn't tell us this, we suspect that he was probably a plant. Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. These miracles that Jesus did were part of his calling card. It indicated that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God representing God. Well, Jesus was watching as the different guests came in and he was observing how they took their seats. He began speaking a parable when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Usually, banquets in this era, in, uh, era were involved with seats arranged kind of in a U-shape. And the host would sit at the base of the U. To his right was the place of honor. The next place of honor was to his left. And the closer your seat was to the host, the more important you were. 
<laughs> and so Jesus was watching as the folks came in for this meal, this banquet that he'd been invited to. Some were picking out the places of honor. They were trying to figure out exactly where they were in the pecking order. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. When you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Of course, it's humbling, isn't it, if you go and you don't take the seat you're deserving of, right? At least in your mind. And so Jesus said, take the lowest seat. Take the place of humility. He tells us that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So he kind of criticized the guests. I've often wondered what it was like to travel with Jesus. I wonder if there were times when you thought, Lord, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Here he is, invited to a guest, and he's critiquing the other guests. But he doesn't stop there. He also went on to say to the one who had invited him, the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. Now, who are the ones he had invited? Obviously, his friends and those that were of the same class as he was. But when you give a reception, Jesus suggests, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he critiques the host as well. Do you sense that there's maybe a little tension in the room at this point? When one of those who are sitting at the table with him uh, reclining at the table with him, heard this, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Let me say something kind of pious that will relieve the pressure. We know that we'll all be there at that great banquet. Blessed is everyone. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And that's our story. A man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. At the dinner hour, he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. The master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited 
special taste of my dinner. This uh, refers to a custom in that culture of what we would call a double invitation. When you're invited out to dinner, first of all, a servant would come and invite you. That was the initial invitation. And if you responded, that was your way of saying, yes, I will be coming. It would be like an RSVP. We don't do this typically in our culture except for really important events, right? Like if there's going to be a wedding reception, they send you a wedding invitation, they may put a little RSVP so they know how many do it. But otherwise, we invite you and you come. That's how we do it. But they did it in these two stages. So first the servant would come and invite you to come. And you'd say, yes, I'll be there. And these guests all said in the story, yes, I'll be there. He invited a lot of people, apparently. It says he invited many. Because he needed to know how many were coming. That would determine what he would provide. For example, a chicken for two or four, or a duck for a few more, a kid for 10 to 15, a sheep, 15 to 25, or a calf, if it's even a bigger group. So you'd have to know how many are coming so you could kill, they didn't go to the grocery store to buy it, kill the right animal and have everything prepared. So the RSVPs came in. Now he sends the servant out again. And the servant comes to everybody that RSVP'd and says, it's time. Now we need to think of this as a small village, not as a huge town, all right? So the servant can go around from door to door and say, it's time. Everything's been cooked. We're all ready to go. Come. So the servant does. What would be the appropriate response for the guests at this point? Yeah, to come. That's absolutely right. Everything's ready. Food's been prepared. The servant has come to tell you to come. And then the story takes an unusual turn. They all began to make excuses all the people that have been invited. The first said, uh, I bought a field. We're going to call him our real estate expert. Now, did you follow his excuse? Is it a good excuse? Or a bad? Who, who buys a property sight unseen? Would you buy a house without ever looking at it? Or a field? I don't think so. But he says, I, I, I bought this field, I need to go out and look at it. Obviously, this is a lame excuse. That's a lie. Nobody would do that. But he's not the only person giving an excuse. We also have the farming expert. He says, I've uh, bought five yoke of oxen. By the way, to buy five yoke of oxen means you have a lot of land. So he must have been a substantial person. I, I bought five yoke of oxen. 
I'm going to try them out. This is like I bought a car and now I'm going to go take a test drive. Aren't you going to take the test drive before you buy the car? It's ludicrous. In that culture, if you wanted to buy a, a, an oxen, two ways that you'd do it. Either the, uh, there'd be a, a, an announced sale with a field nearby so that you could try them out. Or the farmer would say, listen, on such and such a day, I'm going to be out plowing, and if you're interested in buying them, come and watch. But nobody bought it first, the oxen, and then went and tested them. Obviously, this is a lie. The people that had RSVP'd are insulting the guest who invited them. The third one, a romantic. I married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Now, it's interesting, the other two tell why they can't come, what they have to go and do. He doesn't tell you what he has to go and do. He leaves that to your imagination. But clearly, although he might be recently married, there wasn't a wedding in that village on that same day, or there wouldn't have been a, a, a separate feast scheduled. Another lame excuse. What's going on here? He invited them. They have publicly shamed him. What a strange story. What do they think? The guy can't have his feast without them? Are they hoping he'll be humiliated publicly? But in the story, the banquet doesn't get canceled, does it? Even though these folks who view themselves as the ones who should be invited aren't choosing to come. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, there's an obvious theological parallel here to what's going on. The Father is going to host a great banquet pictured here as the kingdom. And the servant of the Father, the servant of the Lord, his Son, has come to say, everything is now ready. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And instead of responding to him, people are making excuses. They are not responding to this servant. And so it becomes a kind of picture of the nation of Israel, particularly their leaders, rejecting the Lord Jesus, and rejecting the kingdom. It's been announced. The king is here. How are you responding? And they are not. 
just excuses. Because of that, they are fulfilling what Jesus had just said a few verses earlier. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. You would not have it. Behold, your house has left you desolate and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, back to our story. So the servant came, told his master, everybody's not coming. He became angry. Justified anger, do you think? I mean, if you had sent out a servant and gotten all this RSVPs and prepared this banquet, and then they all give you lame excuses, would you be angry? He certainly was. Go out at once, he said, into the uh, lanes and streets of the city. Go find the kind of people that ordinarily wouldn't be invited to this kind of a gathering. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Not the elite. And so the servant did. Still there was room. So he said to the master, we still have places. And so the master said, well then I want you to go out into the highways, the byways, the hedges, and compel them to come in. In other words, I want you to, to range even further, not just the poor people in town here, but outside my house may be filled. Now that word compel is interesting. In that culture, if you were invited to a place that uh, the, the man was of a higher social status than you, you were supposed to say no. Even if you were hungry. And so... Jesus' parable assumes that when that servant goes out, people say, I, I'm not of the same ilk as that guy. You, I, I need to say no. And so Jesus says, compel them. doesn't mean force them or coerce them, but he means grab them by the arm gently and encourage them to come. They are wanted. Tell them to come. It's not too hard to look at this parable and think, hmm, so some of the poor folks in, in Israel were going to respond to this king, although the elite weren't. And there's going to be some other folks that are even outside of those, maybe Gentiles, that are going to respond to this king. But not the elite. Compel them to come. Because the master wants his house full. Now, how do you think the other folks that were invited might have thought about all of this when they discovered what the master had done? Well, 
Do you think they were thinking, well, we sure showed him? Were they saying things like, isn't it a shame that he had to invite all this riffraff into his banquet since he didn't have us elite ones come? But they're not going to participate in the banquet, are they? It's going on without them. They had an invitation. They hadn't responded. Invited to fellowship with the host, and they've said no. It was a gracious invitation. They said no. But the poor came. Early in the United States history, there was a man named George Wilson who committed murder. He was convicted and sentenced to die. This is a true story. But George Wilson had an attorney that appealed the conviction. Uh, and the appeal was denied. But then another appeal was made and he was pardoned. However, George Wilson refused to accept the pardon. <laughs> I want to be killed, he said. No one knew what to do. What do you do when you give an invitation to someone to go free and they don't want to go free? This went all the way to the Supreme Court. John Marshall was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. What do we do in this kind of a case? Marshall and the Supreme Court said, listen, uh, a pardon, an invitation has been offered to this man, but he's rejected it. Since he's rejected it, he must die. And he was hanged. An invitation to be good must be acted upon. George Wilson didn't. These religious leaders had been given an invitation. They insulted the host by not accepting the invitation. Now, in our culture, we don't have this, typically, this two-stage invitation system, just once. People invite you and you say yes and you go, or no and you don't. But for us, these applications also fit. Some of you maybe are saying, well, you know, I know all these uh, great offers that Jesus has made for eternal life. And I hope to get around to it someday. But it's appointed to man to die once. And after this comes judgment. And you don't know when that day is. The scripture says, now is the acceptable time. 
Now is the day of salvation. Earlier, Jesus had told another story that reinforces this. The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He thought he was set. Maybe you've been working hard, saving, you've got all of your retirement plans in order, your IRAs and all of that stuff. But God will decide. And once he decides, it's too late then to accept his invitation. It appears that some of these folks had an issue with pride. God certainly can't have his kingdom without us. Listen, God can do perfectly well without you and me. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But there's a third application here. This is a by-invitation-only party. Now, usually, by-invitation-only parties, to me, mean I'm not invited. This is a unique party because you are invited. But you need to respond. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You don't need any money. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine, food without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? This invitation is to you. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's an invitation. Take my yoke on you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Another time, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's an invitation. Jesus said to his followers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's an invitation out there, but it only comes through this servant. So why do people not accept this invitation? Same old reasons. Perhaps this is why you have not. I've got lots of things that I'm worried about. Possessions. I've got a lot of activities that I'm involved in. My, my work, my career. 
I've got relationships that are really more important to me than accepting this invitation. Here's the invitation in different words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. To believe means to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to entrust your life to him. Have you done that? Well, you say, I've heard this many times before. I, I know you have. Have you accepted the invitation? Well, I've got lots of things to think about. I have time, don't I? Perhaps. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. What if you haven't done that yet? Well, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God. The anger of the host of the feast abides on him. So I close with a, a question for you. Are you coming to the feast? Let's pray. Father, I pray for two groups here this morning. I pray for those that have never accepted the invitation. I pray that you will help them see their need of the Lord Jesus and that you'll kindle within them a desire to come to this feast where death is forever done away. Father, I also pray for those of us that already have accepted this invitation. May we follow the example of the servant in the story and invite others to come. Not, not the elite, but the people that are marginalized, the poor, the lame, and even those outside of our particular comfort zone and sphere of ministry. Because we know, Lord, you want your house to be full of all those that wanted to come and enjoy the feast. May we, and Lord, may many come because of our invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. Org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.